Welcome to this episode of The Wolf and the Shepherd. Today we're going to be talking about the band U2 and more specifically the album The Unforgettable Fire. So as typical, once again, I get thrown into something I'm not all too familiar with, which is fine. I mean, I, I like learning things. I'm a big U2 fan, but not huge and when the wolf presented this, hey, let's talk about the YouTube record, The Unforgettable Fire, I'm like, okay, so what songs were on that? Was one on that? Because I don't quite remember uh, exactly what songs were on that. He's like, oh, no, no, let me educate you. So I'm about to get an education on the band YouTube. Well, the album The Unforgettable Fire came out in 1984. It came out at maybe an unpopular time for guitar bands. So when was that? Well, back back in like the first part of the 80s, yeah. it was still very much a very new romantic, the end of new wave. You think of some of the right. bands in England who were super popular at that time, the jam. They were still ending that kind of new wave type era, but you still have the, had the new romanticism. You had like Depeche Mode and Duran Duran trying to find their way, but guitar bass, sorry, guitar based bands were not at that point. They didn't really have much of a medium. Most of the radio stations, they wanted to play popular music. So if you're a little bit alternative, they weren't really up for it at this right. point in time. And, and of course, even back in those days, what alternative rock came out to be in, of course, the 90s uh, was so much different than the 80s. So you had the uh, the new wave, uh, what they call it, now we call it retro. Right. Uh, so you didn't have too much of that back then. But then you had these bands that had these sounds. And, of course, we've talked about the Smiths, and, and they're always punted into that category. But I never really considered the Smiths and U2 in the same category, but... Maybe they were. I, uh, maybe they were actually in that same category. Well, it was it was guitar-based music. So you have to remember at this point, the Sex Pistols, uh, you know, kind of made their point. Right. The Clash had not yep. necessarily burned out, but you know, maybe. You know, it, it's kind, kind of, of funny you tracks, bring up yeah. the Clash because there's a lot of people that uh, I knew way back in the day that hated the song "Should I Stay or Should I Go Now," and. Uh, that was a, a big hit for The Clash. And they they would look at that song and they would say, oh, you know, I, I, I don't like this. Oh, this is something you want to listen to. But they didn't even right. realize that that was actually driving their band to make music. Yeah. And they, they were just so adverse to that song. Yeah. And at that period, I think, coming out of punk, post-punk, going into New Wave, and you saw the... Not necessarily death, but, you know, a lot of live bands who followed that, you know, guitar-based thing were being replaced by synthesized. Synthesized. Sorry, I started with a TH. I should have started with the S first. Yeah. You have a Castilian accent all of a sudden. Yeah, I know. I'd get stabbed instantly. But... You know, there weren't that many bands at that time who could sustain a guitar sound. You know, you had the ones which had been around forever, who still had their fan base, but it was a older fan base. Sure. 
but you know most of the music coming through again was the Duran Duran, the Peshmo, the Spandau Ballet, the Flock of Seagulls who were still surviving from this new, new romanticism and the commercialism at this point in time of English music was coming into American movies you know all those kind of Brat Pack movies all those American movies of the 80s it adopted right. a lot of English soundtrack movies sorry songs but it was very poppy there wasn't much room for you know guitar based bands to find that much of a niche at that point especially given the record companies pretty much told you what you needed to release when it was going to release it and they sold you out on a you know your song is going to be in this movie well sure because the the record companies controlled all that back then yeah and now we're in this era that the record companies do not control what gets released. We're in the era of YouTube. We're in the era of Spotify. We're in the era of Apple Music. We're we're in the era of where the independent artists, if they put something out, they they can create their own following. They can use social media. They can say, you know, hey, listen to this, and somebody listens, and they tell ten friends, and those ten friends tell ten friends, and next thing. You know, it, it, it goes viral. You know, that's that's one of the things. It's all about going viral. Way back then, you didn't have that viral ability. You only had radio stations and you had music clubs. So the quote-unquote kids, right, would go to the music clubs to hear the music. And it was always a kind of a trophy for them. I heard this band first. I, I heard them in a music club, and they played this great song. They they played these great songs, and, and I bought their tape. I bought their vinyl. Uh, this is, of course, a little before CDs, but it, right at the cusp of CDs. But I, I bought their music medium, and I took it home, and I played it for somebody else. Nowadays, it's all about, well, hey, let me send you a link and you click in your phone and you listen to the song and maybe you like it, maybe you don't, but if you like it, maybe you share it on social media and you do that. Way back in those days, you had to have the record labels to say, this is what we like, this is what we think we can sell, so we're going to go ahead and front these guys the money to where they can record and we're going to put out the physical media for people to listen to and we're going to control the market on our basis of taste. Yeah. And, and that's what it came down to. It was taste. Yeah. And it, and it was difficult coming out of that time because as we explained back in our Smiths podcast that it was really that resonation the identification of people who never thought they'd find somebody who felt the same way they did, who was suffering the same way they were. And it created this community where even though it was disjointed because they couldn't connect with each other because of the lack of the internet, the music still reached out to people and made them feel they weren't alone. By the time The Unforgettable Fire came out in 1984, there still wasn't, I guess, that connectivity and it came against like i said it really went against the grain of the new romantic bands which were really you know um gaining ground at that point and you know breaking into overseas 
But until Pride in the Name of Love came out, I don't think U2 really kind of broke America or had, you know, a sound that really hit, you know, the U.S. Yeah, charts. It, it, remembering back in, in my day when U2 started to become popular, I always remember the record, The Joshua Tree. Mm-hmm. And, and that was one of those that uh, whenever you... You talked to a friend, and you talked about bands, and you said, oh, I like U2. Have you ever heard of U2? Well, no, I haven't heard of U2. And you say, well, you got to listen to this record. And it was always The Joshua Tree. Yeah. It, there, there was nothing before The Joshua Tree in my circle of friends that we really heard of out of U2. It was always The Joshua Tree. And even to this day, I, I see... You know, some of my friends on Facebook or on social media or even the friends I still talk to that it came from, you know, way back in the day. It was always the Joshua Tree. That was the right. beginning yeah. for you 2 yeah. in the United States. Yeah. But before the Joshua Tree, we had the Unforgettable Fire. Yeah, and we, and we had, I mean, like the first U2 album we had was Boy which released in 1980, October 1981, and War 1983. And a lot of people might remember War by U2, uh, famous for the song Sunday Bloody Sunday. Great song. Which is a very politically based song. Please don't sing it. Oh, please don't sing it. You should be it, asking, no. please don't play the drums. Well, it, yeah, please but please it. don't sing it. I could see no. that look in your eyes right now. You wanted to start singing the song. Please don't sing it. It's going to happen on one of the other no. episodes. But, you know, I mean, their albums started changing from religion to politics a little bit. You know, they, um, the actual opening, when you go from uh, between war and um, Joshua Tree, when you have a Live at Red Rocks under a blood red sky, he introduces a song, this is not a rebel song, as in this is not about, you know, the people rebelling against, you know, the British Army and, you know, Northern Ireland, you know, it was about something completely different. And when you listen to those lyrics, Sunday Bloody Sunday, Again, the last part of the song, I mean, it's purely religious. I mean, they still keep that religious angle, you know, about, and the battle's just begun to claim the victory Jesus won. I mean, it's still a very, very religious song when it gets into it. And I think the shift to the unforgettable fire was it was like, if you could have had a band which maybe had a direction of, okay, we're going to be kind of religious going to sing a little bit about love but you know now we've had some dmt and we're going to kind of like sing about something completely different you know i mean i think the unforgettable fire when it came out it was the first album that was recorded in just a one take thing not in recording studios just in empty churches and they just wanted to record the sounds in there and the maybe the echoes of what people were hearing in those songs meant so many different things to so many different people that it was more of a, it was the most, regardless of the previous albums and their religious songs, this was really the first spiritual album that people could connect to it 
and actually feel the reverberations through those churches, through those stone walls, as opposed to through the lyrics, because not many of the lyrics on The Unforgettable Fire through any of their songs are really that particularly religious compared to the previous three albums, but it is the most spiritual album I think they have ever done. I'm I'm wondering, sitting over here in the United States, uh, when all this went on, and you have a band like U2 that comes out and they're starting to put music, you know, getting close to the mainstream, and you've got some Americans listening to it. I mean, that that it. As an American, I, I look at that as a dream come true for a European band. Right. But most Americans do not understand the struggle between Ireland and England and the IRA and all of this stuff. And I, I've talked about Rage Against the Machine before where you know you've got a lot of politically charged lyrics in there you got a politically charged band and even though that had to do with america most americans didn't even understand what rage against the machine was talking about so now you have you two they're talking about some religious stuff they're talking about some politically charged things and most Americans, we sit in a bubble. I mean, yeah. We're over here in our bubble. We we kind of sort of care what's going on beyond our borders, but let's be honest, we're on an island here. I, I mean, it, it's a big island. You know, it, it's a continent, but we're on our own island, and it, as long as some of those things don't affect us, we, we don't really care. We was there something that we were just listening to the melodies? They they were good musicians, and we were singing along with these songs that were, uh, you know, slanting one way towards the IRA, and and we didn't even really know what we were doing over here. Well, I think, you know, you two should probably be considered as, you know, one of the biggest peacemakers you know bono you know getting rid of the terrorism between you know the southern part of ireland and the northern part of ireland because and it, by by the way before you go forward you say the southern part of ireland versus I, the uh, northern e part of ireland uh is that different for us Americans, yeah. I mean, you have yeah. Ireland and then you have Northern Ireland, yeah. which most Americans get confused yeah. on. It, it, I look at it as two separate countries. Well, yeah, I mean, it it kind of is, kind of isn't. I mean, Ire, E-I-R-E, is basically the southern part of Ireland. And then you have Northern Ireland. But, you know, you were brought up in England to believe a certain way that, oh, the people who wanted Ireland to become whole were like terrorists and all this but then you were fed this kind of stuff of oh well, they're doing this really bad stuff so then you double down on it but you didn't necessarily at that point in time get it in reverse and see what we were necessarily doing to them and you know maybe being able to understand why the rest of Ireland didn't like you know, the Northern Ireland part of it. And it, it's a difficult thing because we had sure. a very filtered media. You know, you go back to, 
you know, BBC used to be a world-respected service, and then, you know, it, for various reasons in Jer- terms of Jeremy funding... Cl- Jeremy Clarkson ruined it with, <laughs> with yeah. uh, Top Gear, well, basically, is uh, well, what you're saying. Yeah. But but the point is, it's like, you know, you, you get used to listening to a news source. And I think it's the same thing with CNN in the United States. You know, probably up until, I don't know, maybe 2005, you know, it, it really was. I mean, most Americans, it didn't matter which side of the aisle you fell, you believed it was a credible news source. Sure. Right? And so... Well, it was the media. Where where else are you going to get your information from? Yeah, it was the media. And this is the thing. It's like, you know, you two came out with this music which tried to examine both sides of that aisle in, you know, Ireland as a whole and tried to explain why people in the South and, you know, towards the North were kind of pissed that we couldn't unify the country and then why people in the North didn't want to unify the country but you know in fact again it was really you know politics again creating all of this type of well what one stuff. thing you need to remember that if you showed i'm i'm gonna go out on a limb here and you know how good i am with percentages right i know that so, you are at limbs yeah so hmm. i'm gonna say if you presented a map of Great Britain. Yeah. And and I picture it as the big island on the right and the little island on the left. And you say, okay, show me Ireland, show me Scotland, show yeah. me Wales, show me Northern Ireland. Most Americans can't do that. Yeah. We can't. We we can't. I, I, I know most Americans probably wouldn't even realize Wales is somewhere in there. I I know kind of maybe where Northern Ireland is. I know Ireland's floating around in there. I know Scotland's somewhere up in the north, and and that's why they had the the wool wrapped around them because it's yeah. colder up there. But let's be honest, most Americans don't even realize all these countries. See, you know, Ireland and everything. They're all wrapped really close together. And I'm yeah. Once again, I've done almost 10 seconds of research on this, I'm pretty sure you could take the British Isles and put them inside of Texas like 10 times. Well, no, you can, uh, it's England and Scotland you can fit into Texas six times. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So I, I yeah. was close. Yeah. You know, it, it, but, we'll, we'll, use the, <laughs> we'll use the new version yeah. of math, the, the common core math. Yeah. So, so I was correct. But... It, it's such a small area, right? But right. there's so much going on over there. There's so much going on that we sit over here in the United States and we don't even think about that like Europeans look at us. Yeah, and, but, the and, point, but the point is you do, though, because you look at, you know, the violence in a lot of intercities. It's because of people come from a different block. You know, they come from a different side of the street. They come from a different school. There's always that division and the thing in you know between you know the southern part of Ireland and Northern Ireland it was this you know the thing between you know Protestants you know and the Catholics but the division had been created by the church because the core belief is still Jesus is Lord Jesus came in the flesh Jesus is my Lord but somehow the politicians had hijacked 
the message of the church that you know your belief will be squashed if you don't fall into these political lines and you know going with you two going into the unforgettable fire the first three albums boy october and war again very religious and gauging more politicism now now back up up. when you say very religious what do you mean by very religious on these albums well i mean like pretty much hymns i mean you listen to the early u2 songs and i mean it's like hymns almost you know i mean mean, like like old school yeah oh lord my god i'm an awesome wonder yeah Yeah, i mean well i mean it's like singing songs in church well i mean yeah well i mean you have to remember the end of every u2 song they seem the sum the uh sum 40 kind of how long to sing this song you know the end of every album they have done like forever i mean it's always this deep religious thing but with the unforgettable fire it shifted to this almost like the edge started stabbing the guitar with a knife i mean you want to take into like a sort of homecoming the unforgettable fire you introduce this guitar style where like instead of a plectrum you are picking these notes out with a knife i mean it was hard and it was kind of chilling and it had this like very cold feel to it and you know for the first time i mean i think you had this sound this new sound where people tried to get emotion through the guitar playing not the lyrics and it was not you know you know black people brown people whatever people this was like these are white people white irish people and they're playing this song and what gets through to you the most is it almost sounds like somebody's got a kitchen knife and they are stabbing into these lyrics. I mean, Pride in the Name of Love, you know, the most famous one which came out, you know, of the Unforgettable Fire album. I mean, it literally sounds like somebody's got a knife and stabbing into these guitar strings. Yeah, and, and ironically, even that song, they called it Pride. But then they had to put in parentheses in the name of in love. the name of love yeah. because of the chorus, you know, yeah. in the name of love yeah. and blah blah blah. And, yeah. and and I get that part, but if you listen to it, it's not really a love song. Yeah. So a lot of people would hear that like, oh, in the name of love, yeah, it's yeah. a love song. It's not a love song. Yeah. Not a love song. Well, at yeah, all. it's about assassination of you know civil rights leader, but. It was the first U2 song which really broke through outside of Sunday Bloody Sunday, which made a few movies. A few On, honestly, I, I didn't even realize Sunday Bloody Sunday came out before that. You, yeah. you know, when, when you presented this topic, once again, we, we do about 30 seconds of prep for each one of these podcast episodes. I, I would have admitted that Sunday Bloody Sunday came out long after this. Yeah, no, that came, that came from the War album. And uh, obviously, at the live at Red Rocks under a blood right under a blood red sky thing, and that you know really, I guess, kind of polarized the view, at least in terms of young people seeing an actual Irish band give a comment on the struggles in Northern Ireland, and when you know he came out 
and said, you know, about the bombing in Enniskillen and everything else that, you know, this is about humanity. This is not about politics. It's not about religion. And if you support killing old people who fought a war for you to give you this freedom, there is something wrong with you. And it's such a very simple and actually a very kind of short pause when he came out and said this, when he, you know, tore up the Irish flag and said, all I see is red. That well, now, it, so before we did this podcast, you were telling me about that. So so yeah. walk us through what, uh, what Bono did with the Irish flag. Well, well he had like a predominantly uh, Irish audience, I guess. And, you know, he held the Irish flag up and he was saying like, you know, what is this color? What is this color? What is this color? And he was trying to get in these ingrained Irish people who, you know, got these, you know, 30-minute segments of, you know, how how are things going back in the real island and all that stuff. And, you know, he got to the point where he's, you know, calling out the f- colors on the flag. And he said, well, all I see is effing red because it just means wow. blood. You know, it just means right. conflict. It's why are we still at this point when politically, you know, we have an arm to connect everybody together. It's not like, you know, 400, 600, 800 years ago where people didn't have a voice. We can avoid this bloodshed, these bombings, these terrorist attacks. And again, I, I, you know, I mean, I don't agree with obviously, you know, the IRA and a lot of stuff they did, but equally, I don't agree with a lot of the stuff the British government did because, you know, you push people, especially youth, into a position where they feel that they're being pushed down, they don't have a voice, they're under some type of draconian government. It doesn't take much to get those people to kind of uprise against yeah. that get, level get, of hand upon them. And that's, I think, where it went wrong. But, you know, yeah, the IRA were bad, but yeah, the British government were bad. And the way everything went at that time was bad. But I think you know, Bono and you 2 at that time as were especially responsible for showing, you know, a lot of old Irish people in the United States that this is not about what you've read, what you've seen. This thing is disgusting on both sides and we need just to get rid of this crap. And I mean it really did within about a year and when yeah, I mean it really did kind of help to So it, 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 it walk walk the typical American like me through that. You know, you're you're growing up in England back in those days. We didn't know anything about this. We we didn't know about the struggle between the English and the yeah. Irish. I mean, mo- most American people were like, oh, you know, it, it's just white European, right? They, yeah. They're all the same white people, yeah. and there's there's a big difference in Europe between white people. You're not just all white in Europe. You're English, you're Irish, you're Scottish, you're Welsh. I I remember hearing a joke about, you know, everybody makes fun of the Welsh. Uh, There's all this that's going on. So, So you're listening to this music and you're realizing that you know there there is a struggle between the english and the irish and 
you know, we hear about the Irish potato famine, and we hear about St. Patrick's Day. And most Americans, that's pretty much all we know about the Irish. It's like, okay, you got leprechauns, you got a potato famine, and you like to drink Guinness, and that's about it. And other than that, you're just a different version of an English person. That That's really what most Americans believe about you know, the, the British Isles, so to speak. So you've got this Irish band, U2, that's delivering this message as an English person, not living in Ireland, living in England. How did that, what was that struggle there? How did, how did people in England feel about them delivering this message well the the problem is i mean when you come to the song sunday bloody sunday and what that represents is that we got a very i guess one-sided you know news story of everything that was going on on in northern ireland and well, it, we, well it was now, it was now, pro- it was propaganda 101 and we, okay. we never really saw kind of what was going on and so when the song sunday bloody sunday came out the, you know, it, the lyrics, you know, from a Protestant band as such as they were at the time, still spoke, still spoke of the struggles in Northern Ireland, but we were never allowed to see it because they deliberately on the BBC, they took out scenes of stuff which was going on. And so we never saw if like, you know, you know, the Irish at the time were being maltreated or anything else. They cut it all out and they made, you know, Irish, you know, Southern Irish, you know, Irish Catholics out to be terrorists when that wasn't really the case. We got such, you know, polarized news. And the thing is, most people, 95% of people, 98% of people in Ireland, it matters matter that we're in the North or the South, just wanted peace you know they didn't care about it, and right, it, it was a hard, it was a hard thing because, like I said, that song Blood, "Sunday Bloody Sunday" opened a lot of people's eyes into, you know, this is really what's going on from somebody who's living in Ireland, and that's, you know, the shift of the unforgettable fire went into, I guess, more it's <laughs> like the late books, you know, of the New Testament in terms of you couldn't really tell what it was saying unless you studied it. I mean, it's still very, very, very political. But, right. you know, you had to understand it was going from a rebel stance to a point of we've got to smooth this over. Otherwise, this is going to be almost like a civil war for the next 100, 200 years. It, do, do you think you 2 did a good job of trying to smooth it over? Or did they stir up the pot? I, I think they did. I mean, I think... Um, they think they did what? I think they did a good job in terms of... in it? Yeah, because they still kept, I mean, right up until maybe Actung Baby, they still had a lot of songs which were very religious. And you have to understand, as an island, regardless of how you separate it, Ireland is very religious between the Catholics and the Protestants. You've got a heavy number of people who believe in God and believe in the, the will of God, regardless of how it takes us to get to a certain point you know, it's validated by God. So, I mean, it, it was a musical kind of scene which was trying to almost escape Ireland in a way. You know, it tried to get to England 
to explain what was going on in Ireland and then it go to America, which had this very polarized and very terrible, actually, stuff that they made out that Irish people were being massacred. It was some, like, kind of genocide when it really wasn't that. But, you know, there were people going around in Irish pubs with collection bags and, you know, kind of, yeah, let's gain up some money to buy some hand grenades to blow up the British army. And the truth is, it's somewhere definitely in between. I mean, the British weren't good. The Irish weren't good. I mean, it was a very kind of a... Well, look, I mean, we're we're looking at that in today's politics in the United States. Uh, And once again, I'm going to preach back to most Americans. We sit in our bubble. Uh, we we don't really concern ourselves with what's going on in Europe. Uh, we concern ourselves with the Middle East. We concern ourselves with Asia. We concern ourselves with a little bit of Russia. But beyond that, it, most Americans do not understand European politics. Most Americans don't care about it. Uh, most Americans would look at a band like U2 and say, oh, they make good music. Uh, I remember the the movie, and I think I've actually brought this up on a podcast before, uh, the movie Blown Away. Uh, Love that movie. My wife doesn't understand why I like the movie because, spoiler alert, the dog dies in the movie, and I truly hate any movie where a dog dies. I just, I, I totally hate that. But I remember Tommy Lee Jones is playing a, a IRA person in that movie, and he kills a dog, and I hate that part of the movie. But you start to learn a little bit about the IRA and in the fight and all that and what's going on. But I do remember in the movie... The woman, and I don't remember, she's the girlfriend of the Jeff Bridges character in the movie, and she's trying to sell some stuff on a roadside kind of garage sale thing. And sells the Tommy Lee Jones character a tape of U2, and a lot of the soundtrack of that movie is U2 because it's always, oh, well, you know, Irish music, it's either... Pub music where yeah. you're sitting there clanking your right. your steins together or your pint glasses together full of Guinness. Yeah. Or it's some kind of IRA thing going on. And that's where most Americans look at that. But it, do, it, and it's kind of sad that it, we're so wrapped up in what we're doing over here that that's basically our view of what's going on with the rest of the but, world. But do you not think that that stereotype of Irish music is exactly the same as how people stereotype like Texan music. I mean, oh, absolutely. Like, there's no, there's no boundaries that you can yeah, bypass it, and get out it, of something hey, else. It, if like, you if you live in Texas, you wear a cowboy hat, you yeah. wear cowboy boots, you ride a horse to work, you listen to country music, and when you're not riding your horse, you drive a pickup truck. Right. That's how most people think. And right. I fit into only one of those categories because I wear cowboy boots almost every day because they're comfortable. But I don't own a horse. I don't ride a horse. I can. 
I have several times. I can outride a lot of people on horse, but beyond that, I'm not your stereotypical Texan, but most Texans aren't stereotypical Texans. Right. And stereotypes just kind of get out there and everybody believes that. And especially when there's an ocean separating another country, another island, another continent, most people get confused and like, well, that must be what's going on there. Everybody believes that Irish people are sitting in pubs all day, drinking Guinness, getting drunk, and that's all they're doing. British people are eating terrible food and, you know, talking with a snooty accent and bowing down to the queen. And it, that's what we look at as Americans over yeah, there. Yeah, that's not too far off the mark, to be honest. Um, now... When no, we were, so, so there's something about stereotypes, yeah, uh, yeah, but now yeah, we're yeah, uh, we're about to go down one of those no, rabbit holes. No. Let's be careful with the rabbit holes. Right. Now, before the podcast started, you know, when I said to you, I want to introduce the Unforgettable Fire album, and I said that it really shifted guitar-based music, I guess, among a very popular tract of new romanticism like with again Duran Duran, Depeche Mode and everything else that you know it was almost a beacon in a way because we didn't really have too many outside of Queen and U2 too many arena bands that were really kind of making that music and with Queen it's kind of weird when you go back to some of their songs like Fat Bottomed Girls and uh, I'd like to ride my bicycle and all this type of stuff kind of well yeah I like the song but I just don't know where you're going with it but with you too I mean it changed I mean I think once they got out of that war album and went into the Joshua tree and when it hit the American market things changed a lot because within a year they had rattle and hum which was their tour of the United States and it was out in the movie studios. But, you know, you, you've, you know, you said like, uh, that from Actung baby, like one is like, and that was 91. And then they went back to electronic stuff. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I remember hearing the song one and in quite honestly, if, if you had to pin me down and say, Give me your top ten songs of all time. One by you two is going to be on there. Right. Uh, my wife knows that. Uh, she knows I love that song. I hate the cover versions. Let's be honest. I hate the cover versions of one. I've never that, heard a good cover version of yeah, one. Yeah, and you're not going to because uh, you're never going to hear a good cover version of that song. But... I think back to that song and I think it, you know, what a great song. But What's your course, favorite lyric in that song? God, they're all so good. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm playing the song in my head. I learned how to play it on the guitar. Oh. I used to play so that. So I'm telling mine, it's like the, uh, I asked you to enter and then you make me crawl and I can't keep holding on. And yeah, I mean, it, it's so. just, it, it's such a great yeah. song. 
all the way through. And even, you know, when I was younger and I heard the song, I liked it. And it, if you ignore the lyrics and everything else and just take it at the melody and everything, it's a great song. But then when you start digging into the song, you realize, well, it's a great song e even more. And, and that's why I learned to love the song even more than when I, I liked it before. I mean, it's it it's just a fantastic but, song. But between that and, say, a song like With or Without You, and there's a four-year gap between those, because obviously With or Without You well, is a but, fantastic song. But let's be song. honest, that, that's a great song too. Yeah. It, it wouldn't make my top ten, but still a great song. But does, does the... Uh... I don't know, words of that song or anything. I mean, does it really send a different message? I mean, across those four years, I mean, I mean, a lot of people... I think you hear the suffering yeah. in both of those songs. Well, a lot of professional musicians have said, like, with or without you was like, song that saved my life. But you get the same thing with, like, one. I mean, it's... that They yeah. hit something within a very specific point of time where they shifted from religion and politics to love and they really captured love and then they moved right. on and then they well, kind no, of lost no, us all. No, I remember think. they shifted back to politics. That they, they got a lot of fans because they shifted to that mainstream of music and then once they got a bunch of mainstream fans and then they went back to politics. Everybody got confused. Yeah. They said, well, well, wait a second. Why are you saying this? Why are you saying that? And everybody got upset with Bono and all that. But they didn't realize what the initial message behind all their music was. Yeah. All they heard was, like I said before, in America, it was always the Joshua Tree was that yeah. kind of quintessential album. Right. And we didn't hear anything before that. We didn't understand what was going on with European politics. We didn't understand yeah. the British Isles. We didn't understand any of the Irish stuff. We, we didn't get that. And then once U2 got popular, then they said, okay, well, now we have a voice. Hmm. Now we... Now we've got people's attention. Now, now that we have their attention, let us explain what we were trying to say. And um. then they began to get ostracized. And it, it, I don't remember, was it Octune Baby? Or uh, they, there was some tour that they did, and it was all about putting videos up on the screen. They they were one of the first bands. Oh, that, bands. no, that was the band after Zuropa. Zuropa, Zuropa album. there you yeah, go. Yeah. It was Zuropa where they <clears throat> it, you'd go to the show and yeah. and they would put these videos on the screen. Oh. And most Americans were like, I'm uh, I'm just coming here to watch a show, and and they're doing all this. And well, I think the, everybody, I think, the, I think the edge, I think the edge mostly drove that album, that Zeropa tour. Because he sang, I think the only song or the first song they released off the album was like a lemon, and he sang the lyrics on it. And they, they is that gotten, the one the music video where the women came in and rubbed his face yeah, or, maybe, or yeah. whatever it was? I I do remember seeing. If, that I, if I was going to do a video, that's what I'd probably do: get some women to come and rub my face. But no, from Act Tongue sure. Baby, I mean, you think the opening song on that album was the Fly? Do you remember that? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. No. I mean, it was a very harsh intro 
I mean, from like the previous albums that gone before. Because remember, where they went through that kind of Westernish sound of like Joshua Tree, Rattling Hum, and then they went into this hard, almost German electronic sound. And they that, did, and yes, that's the they Fly did. song. And, but, and and they all of a sudden started yeah. losing fans. Well, because they switched their but, genre yeah. a little bit. They said, "Hey, we're yeah. gonna start throwing." But stuff there were some here. songs on the album like Ultraviolet and that stuff, which to me, I mean, like was absolutely fantastic. And I thought they actually gathered that. Because I think Brian Eno might have still been producing their albums at the time, and he was like guy responsible for like craft work and all this other stuff. And I I kind of got why, especially with the Edge, why they got into that type of sound. But after that At Tongue Baby, I really disconnected. I did not. I I, I did, I did too. not. I did too. I I yeah. remember. I, I I've only seen U2 live one time and that was at the uh, Dallas Cowboys Stadium the one that we have right now that we called Jerry World here a friend of mine called me and said hey I've got two U2 tickets Uh, my wife can't go do you want to come see U2 I'm like I've never seen them live but yeah I want to come you know I'd love to see them live and saw him live, uh, Muse opened for him, and we're not going to go down that rabbit hole, but I'm sorry, Muse sucked. It was horrible. We actually went outside because it was so terrible to see them live, and I was watching it and hearing the older songs, the Joshua Tree songs and everything, I truly enjoyed that, but even in that show... They were putting up the political posts and the political videos and, and trying to explain where they came from. Uh, still a good show, but then you start to disconnect a little bit from them. You, yeah. You, you do. Yeah. I mean, I lost the politics past Act on Baby. Like I said, it had a heavy German influence, craft work influence that you know i could understand the sound and like the song one i mean perfect freaking song so, so let, let me ask you this uh your your son is young and when he gets to the point to where you would say xander i want you to hear you too what song do you play for him to introduce him to the band you two this would be a funny answer because if you weren't answering it, if you weren't asking that about my son, it'd be a different matter. But I think October from the album October, just because it's purely a piano based song. Okay. It's religious. It's kind of slow, but it kind of tells you how they felt at that time. I mean, it was in between, uh, you know, boy and war which you had a very kind of, again, like nine out of 10 songs being religious. And then you had War, where a couple of religious songs, but the rest were political. I think the October album, that thing before they actually broke through, if you wanted somebody to actually examine the lyrics or what that song was about, I think you could have got early U2 from that. Now, later on, I will go to the Unforgettable Fire album 
and the a sort of homecoming the opening track on it just because it's so long i mean it's like five minutes 28 seconds which okay. again when we went back to the rem losing my religion thing it's like record labels do not want you recording songs which last too long Right, and, but, and, and we've also talked yeah. about Smashing Pumpkins, and I've yeah. thought about the Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness album, and honestly, my favorite song on that whole record is the opening track, yeah. where yeah. it's just, well, and, it said, and they call it Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, well, and it's just oh. music, and you sit there, and oh. yeah, it's great. Well, it we, we've, we've agreed, if Beethoven was still alive, he would cry that he didn't write that opening track true i mean he absolutely would but i think with you two i think it, it came out of a point where nobody in the united states heard of maybe the first three albums for the most part in england united kingdom we heard a couple of albums which were successful and then they went kind of commercial but more aimed towards america you know with joshua tree and rattle and hum then it reversed and they went more European. But then I guess it lost direction in terms of how most of us who heard the band from early on communicated with them. You know, I mean, the message they were sending, it wasn't, you know, necessarily relational. But, you know, you don't really have that many bands who go across a 15 year thing. I mean, you just really don't. I mean, you, oh, oh, you know. oh, uh, now correct your math there. You said 15 years. I mean, we're talking about a band that's still relevant well, today. Well, well, I don't know if they are relevant. Uh, I know. Well, that, mm. okay, good argument. Mm. Uh, so, so one, one <laughs> I thing... I was just talking the unforgettable yeah. fire to act on, baby. No, yeah. no, fair enough. Mm. So, so one thing uh, I divulged, but I didn't ask you, have you seen U2 live? Yeah, I've seen them three times. I okay. Saw them yeah. the... Tell tell us about when you saw U two. All right, I saw them the uh, end of the war tour, and this is when Sunday Bloody Sunday became like pretty popular. Okay, in uh, approximately what year are we talking about? Uh, middle of nineteen eighty four wasn't so, a big wasn't so, a big venue because they still really weren't that right. So big at that so time. we're talking about over in England. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Are you talking about? I think little... it's like Birmingham NEC. Yeah, but are you talking sort of... about like little tiny music club? Or are you talking about? No, it, it was still like about fifteen twenty thousand. Okay, like, okay. You know. So so. So not quite a big giant stadium yeah. show, but not a little five hundred no. music club. Uh, and so, then I, and then I saw them at Wembley Stadium with like about one hundred twenty eight thousand people just before, like well during the Joshua Tree thing and just before Rattling Hum thing, I guess. And so yeah, I saw them okay in the masses then. I mean, you know, but they already had a good, I guess number of songs which were anthemic enough to get you know a crowd of that size to get excited sure it was hard i mean now the last time i saw them was let me think maybe 92 the end of the act tongue baby tour were, were you in the u.s by now or no you still no, over there? i was still okay. back in england at that point yeah. no they came to somewhere in the northeast I yeah but when, but once uh, again big show yeah it is a big it's a big show and this was um actually they just 
when we went to see them, they'd release that Zeropa and they'd actually announce the Zeropa tour. So we were right on the tail end of some of the stuff they were playing with the edge, like singing Lemon and all this stuff. And they'd kind of gone off in this weird electronic, like I said, craft right. work, Jean-Michel Jarre kind of direction. And it, it shifted a lot. And then they kind of went very, I don't know, to me, kind of middle of the road. I mean, that's maybe a knock on them, maybe not. But everything I liked about them from the beginning... I kind of stopped like him because it wasn't it wasn't about having controversial lyrics it was just the sound was just very generic yeah, it they, didn't they, stand they out switched. there were no riffs you, know, you couldn't hear the edges guitar you know and i think you know there are some bands now again you go back to u2 sorry not u2 coldplay actually you know i loved the first three four albums and i saw them tons of times in concert but they got to producing albums where it's just I, d I don't know if this really communicates to me anymore and i think that's okay i think you can have this handshake with a band sure and it's like okay we had our time just like yep. if you've got previous ex-boyfriend ex-girlfriend whatever that you can be like look we had our time it worked for us but now you're suited to something else, I'm suited to something else. And I think that might be where like bands like U2 and Coldplay are kind of are that yeah, well, you move well, on. Well, what you're saying, you know, we're parting here as friends. Yeah. And and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. it, unfortunately, in, uh, you know, we, we've tried to focus this episode of the podcast on, on U2 and a certain album. And of course... You know, naturally, because the way we are, we, we splinter off, and now we've kind of covered a lot of U2's career here. Uh, sometimes you've just got to look at it, and you got to say, we had a good time. Yeah. And it, it's okay that we're going to part ways, because you're going to go left, I'm uh. going to go right. You're going to go north, I'm going to go south. It, there's nothing wrong with that. Oh. It doesn't mean you don't like them anymore, but maybe you just don't want to listen to them as much. Maybe you you don't want to follow them as much, but you still appreciate the fact that they made a big contribution into the music industry. No, you, and you, that's the way no. I look at you too. Yeah. Uh, I dismissed myself from them a long time ago, but I tell you what, if I'm flipping through radio stations, or maybe I should actually quantify this, because when I drive in the car, I'm always driving, my wife is sitting there in the passenger seat, and she constantly is just flipping through the radio, trying to find a song which drives me insane, but once again, we could do a podcast on that, but let's let that go. If she is flipping through the radio stations, trying to find a song, and I hear a U2 song from back in my day, I'll say, stop. Let's, let's listen to this. Do you think U2 should have stopped after acting, baby? No. And, and, and 
I think, God, that's so tough because... It's a beautiful day with it, a good song. I can't remember what... It, it, All no, that you it, can't leave behind. Look, they, the they have that so song? much talent. Yeah. And I know those guys, especially Bono, they have so much to say. I don't want them to stop. I, I would uh, rather hear a band like you 2 try to create music because we know they're talented it, that's beyond argument it, they're talented i would rather hear a band like that put out a mediocre song that has a great message than somebody that has zero message put out a song and get people to just try to buy into crap but, but do you listen to their music over there Sorry, lyrics over their music. Would you say? Have you listened to the average U2 song? I do. I, I do, but it, would the normal person today actually dig into the lyrics? Probably not so much. It, it's all about the melody. That, hey, oh. this, is, this is a good sounding song. It sounds good on my Spotify playlist. You know, I, I'm gonna ignore it. It's gonna be in the background. I'm I'm not gonna really listen to what they're actually saying, yeah. but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Well, well, to me, I mean, like, I find it hard to connect with bands who try to really polarize the political thing, where you know, if you don't agree with us, we don't need you as a fan and all this stuff. And when you know, Trump became president in 2016. U2 was supposed to be releasing an album that year. And Bono came out and said, well, maybe now we need to re-record it in light of Trump becoming president. To me, it's like, so So sorry, yeah. what were you talking about before that has now sure. changed because you have a different president? And that's, I find, when people are so politically driven that, it gets rid of, I mean, you know, as we have in this election now, where we're at, you're automatically getting rid of 70 million people just simply because you just can't be open to an ideal of something, you know? Well, artists are artists. And, and we have to understand that artists are artists. And they're going to put their opinion, they're going to say, hey, here's what I want you to believe. So can we but, not go back to Depeche Mode's people are people? People are people, so why can't it no. be that you and I should get along so awfully? I mean, why no. does it have to be? It, 40 years later, we just it, simply can't take that yeah, message. It, it, there's a lot of people probably listening um, to this right now that aren't even familiar with that song, but it's the same thing. That... that the popular culture, the social media and everything has sullied people of how they should believe. And, uh, you know, here we are, you and I both, we, we want people to listen to music, look at art, read books, do whatever it is, and, and formulate their own opinions. Uh, we're not sitting here trying to tell you what to believe, uh, tell you what your opinion should be. Uh, the, the main message behind this is, you know, 
figure it out for yourself, but enjoy good art. And whether it's visual art, whether it's music, whether it's movies, whatever, that's what we're looking for. So with that said, thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Wolf and the Shepherd, and we will definitely catch you on the next one.